We're so glad you're with us this morning for this last message in the uh, Brave series. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to open them up and turn to Luke chapter 8 today. Luke chapter 8, whatever version of the Bible you have, Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40 today. And um, we'll conclude the Brave series. Now, in the month of uh, June and July, we won't be in the series, but we'll be back in mid-July with chapter 9. And we'll walk all the way in the book of Luke from chapter 9 uh, all the way through the end of the book uh, about Easter of next year. So you look forward to all that. Luke's been a phenomenal book that we've had together. I want to say a word of appreciation for Ed Cole for preaching last week. Didn't Ed do a phenomenal job last week? Always enjoyable. He's a pretty funny guy, I have to tell you that. You don't know that unless you interact with him some, and uh, you don't know that unless you've heard him preach, but he does, he does a phenomenal job uh, being in God's Word. If you have Luke 8, verse 40, in front of you, say amen, would you? Amen. All right, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, beginning in verse 40. Just after this amazing miracle of Jesus casting the demon out of the garrisoned demoniac into the pigs, just after the incredible display of power, we find this account unfolding, beginning in verse 40. And the title of the message today, by the way, is Brave Enough to reach out. We watched last week as the text revealed to us someone who could not reach out. Jesus moved to the place where people could reach out. But I want you to know today, God is always positioning us to reach out. He always wants us to reach out, but sometimes we have to be brave enough to get to the place of saying, I have need. The Bible says in verse 40, and Jesus returned the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him, and a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. And Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been made immediately healed or whole. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And that's really the key verse of this entire series and section of Luke. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. And when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. That is all those on the outside. But he said, stop weeping for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him knowing that she had in fact died. He, however, took her by the hand and called saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up immediately and gave order. He gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Now, what an amazing passage of Scripture. But you have to be brave enough to reach out. 
If you've ever skydived, and I never have, but I'm working up the appetite for it, you do it first with someone that you attach yourself to and with as you leap out of that perfectly healthy airplane. I keep emphasizing that because it's still an amazing thing that people jump out of an airplane that can fly. But you have to have a trust in them. You have to believe that they've been through this before. You have to believe that they know what to do for you to strap yourself to someone else and then dive out of that airplane at 14,000 feet. You have to believe enough. You have to be brave enough to take the leap with them. So often, that's where Christ has us. We're at the place where we have to be brave enough to take the leap with him. Don't know where you are today, but that's where he wants you to be, brave enough to reach out. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will open our eyes and hearts to this word and all that you want us to know today, personally, corporately. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. Please be seated if you would. You know, I love this text, and the reason I love the book of Luke and the text that we're looking at today in particular is because we see real people with real needs. And we see them humbling themselves and coming to the place of being open and honest about everything that they have need of. You've got Jairus, this official of the synagogue, who's a religious leader. You've got the woman who is relatively unknown, unnamed and unknown, and probably doesn't have the status of Jairus, and yet... Both these people on opposite ends of the spectrum humble themselves and just get to the place where they're going to be real before Jesus and before others, and that's really what kicks their faith in. They're brave enough to get beyond having it all together. Maybe one of the things I dislike most about modern Western Christianity is our, our idea that we have it all together somehow, our idea that if, if, if we can't get it fixed, then we'll find somebody besides God to fix it. And we have this sense of self-sufficiency and independence that was very prevalent in that day as well. Luke was written to Gentiles and, and to Greeks, and those folks seemed to have it all together. They had either higher wisdom or they knew somebody that did have higher wisdom, and, and they had to humble themselves to come to the place of saying, I need the help of someone other than myself. We need that in the church today. We need to be honest enough and open enough to say, only God can get this, and I'm going to tell him that I have need of him. We've got to be brave enough to do that. And part of the problem is that since we don't do this very much, we also don't even share our needs with other people. So other people are not given the opportunity to step into our need and call on God with us. But this, this story helps us get to the place of doing that because we've got to be brave enough to be desperate, brave enough to deal with an embarrassing situation, brave enough to be able to say, I think it's too late unless God does something. The gospel is all about letting Jesus shine through so clearly that everything that has to do with religion is set on the back burner so we can get to the place of trusting Jesus himself. I'm going to give you a statement today that I think we'll apply all the way through this text today, hopefully in your life day by day. Here's the statement. The dividing line between faith and unbelief is crossed when one believes enough to act. When one believes enough to act. The difference between faith, just mentally, and unbelief comes when we're, we have enough faith to act enough faith to reach out, enough faith to pray, enough faith to obey God. That kind of faith brings all kinds of change in our lives as we see in this story today. It's always good to trust God, always good to believe God 
but especially at these crossroads of lives like these individuals were facing. Let me show you what I mean by that. By the way, Jesus came for everybody. Jesus came to minister to all. And we've got two different spectrums here. We've got this rich, wealthy man who was an official of the Jews. And on the other hand, we've got a woman who was relatively poor. In fact, the book of Mark tells us in this story that she had already given all of her money to the doctors and she was without hope and without help and she had no money and no one else to turn to. We know about Jairus that he was recognized as an official, but we know that this woman was basically unnamed. Jairus, the city official, had 12 years of joy with his little daughter before she became deathly ill. This woman had had 12 years of misery. Jairus had a public need. The woman had a private need. But I want you to know today, these two are in sequence together to let us know that nobody is outside the scope of a loving God who reaches out into our life. Nobody, no matter how wealthy, how poor, how known, how unknown, how public, how private the need is, Jesus knows and he cares. And I want you to know today, if you're brave enough to trust him, he'll do something amazing in your life. It's especially important that we trust him and reach out when we're desperate. When we're desperate. This is the story of Jairus. In verses 40 through verse 42, we find the story about his little daughter. And you know, there's nothing more discouraging or more frightening or that makes a parent more desperate than a little child who's hurting physically. Man, I'm telling you the, the truth of the testimony you heard a few moments ago tells you that. If Chris and Emily were able to talk at length, they would tell you about those moments of desperation where they didn't know what to do except just call out to God. To know that your daughter, or your son for that matter, has gone through a horrendous accident and may or may not live is devastating. Think of the hopelessness in that. Think of the fact that you can't do anything about it. Think of the fact that you may feel like it's too late. Whatever has happened made it too late for, for even God to intervene into someone's life and yet having to come to grips with that element of faith and say, we're gonna trust God through this. We're gonna to come to the place of actually acting as though we believe that God is a God who does good things even though this seems to be a bad one when you're desperate. Now, all of us may not have experienced that and I hope nobody else in the room has experienced that, but all of us have experienced some aspect of desperation in our lives where we have to be like this man Jairus was where he leaves everything else behind and comes after Jesus because he's desperate. Now, this guy has a lot of reputation. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you something about his story so you'll know everything he had to jump over in order to get on his knees before Jesus. He was an official of the synagogue, which meant that he was someone that set the order weekly for synagogue worship in that area. The prevailing religion of Judah was Judaism, or of Israel was Judaism, and they worshiped in the synagogue. And to be a, a synagogue official was to be right at the top of the leadership level. He actually led the elders of the synagogue. He set the order of worship. He determined who would read the, the Torah or the law as they gathered together to worship. As populated by all the Pharisees and Sadducees who came to worship. Each week he interacted with those who were of high level in that area of Judaism. And most of them did not like Jesus. 
Most of them were disappointed in the life of Jesus. Most of them could not explain away the miracles of Jesus and disliked the fact that Jesus called himself the Messiah. So there he was in the midst of a group of people disapproving of Jesus, and yet when he was desperate enough where he had to shake all that aside and come and fall at the feet of Jesus, he was desperate enough for God to work. Sometimes you have to shed your dignity. Sometimes you have to not be so private anymore. Sometimes you've got to lay aside any kind of sophistication you may have or independence you may have or other solutions that you may have. And you have to come and fall at the feet of Jesus. And this man has no choice. He's extremely hopeless about his little girl. And that desperation leads to bravery. Bravery. Brave enough to believe God. Let me tell you, sometimes God orchestrates everything in our lives to get us to the place where we're brave enough to trust him. I love in reading the Old Testament to see the cycles of Old Testament belief in God. When you read the Old Testament stories of God's people, you find them believing God and then straying after a while. And after they stray for a while, they find themselves in dire circumstances. And in those dire circumstances, they become desperate. And when they become desperate and pray to God, that's when intervention takes place. And if you watch that cycle happen over and over in the history of the people of Israel, you'll realize that the principle is desperation always precedes intervention. It's not until we are desperate that God intervenes. It's not until we realize we have no other options that God seems to work the greatest ways. So if God's got you in a position today when you're kind of desperate, he's got you in a position where you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the answer is. You don't know how you're going to make it another week or another month. You don't realize what's down the road. You're in a good position to be desperate. And if you're in a good position to be desperate, you're in a great place for God's intervention in your life. You want that. And today, the McElroys would probably say they wouldn't trade that experience for anything, not for anything. But at the time, it would have been really easy to say, I wish I wasn't in this situation. Desperation. It's really important that we believe when desperation takes place because God is about to work in amazing ways. And God knows this. We just don't, we're just not aware of it until he actually works in powerful ways. We'll come back to that in just a moment. When you're desperate. Secondly, when you're embarrassed. When you're embarrassed. You see, in the middle of this situation where he's going to Jairus' house, a woman comes and touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus is interrupted. By the way, it's a great lesson for us to know that, that there is no real interruption in the Christian life. There is no interruption. On the way to doing something good, someone else came up and touched the hem of his garment, causing him to stop. And Jesus stopped in his tracks. He, he kind of set his agenda aside and said, I'll get to this later, but right now I need to touch the, the person's life who tried to touch my garment. There is no bad interruption in the kingdom of God. Someone interrupts your life, it's an opportunity for you to minister. Someone interrupts your conversation, it's a time for you to be able to point to God in some way. There are no bad interruptions. And by the way, you can never, never interrupt God from what he's doing without his ability to handle that becoming evident. You do not interrupt God. The truth is, you call out to him every time and any time. He does not, he does not disdain that. He does not turn you away. Call, call on him at any time. This woman comes and interrupts Jesus on his way to Jairus' house. And she's an unnamed woman. It's a different story altogether. 
She's unknown, she's unclean, she's unaccompanied, she's unable to get help. Mark's account is so long and so detailed. It says that she spent all her money on doctors and they've given her no help at all. Now doctors in that day were probably not as proficient as doctors in this day. In fact, the issue of blood, what this woman had, was very common in that day. And the Talmud, which was a book of rabbinical writings, gave no fewer than 11 cures for someone who had a perpetual hemorrhage or issue of blood. Some of those cures were tonics or astringents that you would take. Others would be superstitious, like taking the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag in the summer and carrying it in a cotton rag in the winter. Or women were told to go and find a barley corn, which had been found in the dung of a white female donkey and carry that around and that would fix what your ailments are. All kinds of wild things. This woman has probably gone through all of them. Uh, she's found no cure. Nobody is able to help her. She comes up behind Jesus. She doesn't speak to Jesus. She doesn't ask for help. She's got a hidden issue and it's a hidden request. And there are reasons for that. In Leviticus chapter 15, you find the Old Testament speaking about a woman who has a discharge of blood or a hemorrhage. It says this in verse 25 of Leviticus 15. Now, if a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not all the period of her menstrual impurity, if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity she is unclean. That's what the scripture says. Now, that means that basically everything she touches is unclean according to the rabbinical interpretation of that. If anyone touches what she's touched, they are unclean. It's a pretty bad deal. And here she comes into the crowd, bold enough in spite of all that, in spite of being told that if she would just wait and believe, wait it out, but nothing has happened for 12 years. Imagine that, and she walks in to this crowd and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. She decides to be brave. Now, I don't know how you can put yourself in a similar situation but if you've got a problem, it's an embarrassment, a habit you don't really want anybody to know, but now it's already kind of evident. You've got something that's so desperate that nobody can help you with. You don't really want the crowd to know, and yet you want the Lord to heal you. You want the Lord to help you. You want the Lord to deliver you. You have to have enough belief, like this woman did, to go public with it in front of others. Not in the sense of standing in front of everybody and proclaiming what the problem is, but in the sense of crying out to God for help. In your embarrassment, you have to be open before God and a few others. And that's exactly what Jesus did here. She decides to be brave. She crosses the public boundaries. She crosses those matter of laws, those boundaries. She crosses social boundaries, religious boundaries. She's going to get in this crowd and she's going to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Look what it says in Luke chapter 8 and verse 46. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, these are significant words, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's a remarkable moment. But when we read this, we read the latter part of that verse more than the first part. 
We read your faith that's made you well go in peace. We read about the fact that when we believe God and when we call out to God and God answers our prayer, we can go in peace and we can move forward again. But, but what she heard first was, daughter. I'm going to pause for just a moment and talk about this for a minute. The fact that Jesus called her daughter put a very unique spin to this healing situation. It's not just about providing a solution. It's about making her lot and making her know she's let. Daughter. When I was first preaching in India, almost 20 years ago now, I didn't know a lot about the culture. And one night we had a huge uh, crusade, and I was supposed to preach in the service of the crusade. And as the people were gathering, we were making our way to the arena, and uh, some 20,000 people had gathered. And by the time I got on the stage and looked out at the crowd, I realized that almost all of them that I could see were women. And I'd been used to preaching to groups of men and women, and it was very easy to see in India because the women were all at the front, the men were at the back, or you would divide them down the middle, men on one side, women on the other side, but they, they never worshiped men and women in the same section. They always divided up like that. And so I looked out at the crowd, and all I could see were women. I couldn't see any men at all. And I, I asked the man next to me, the organizers, are there any men here? And he said, yes, they are, but not many. They're at the back. And so probably 18,000 women and 2,000 men, the men were way at the back. And as I was preparing and praying to get up and preach, this passage was resting heavy on my heart. So I got up without much preparation and walked through in the book of Mark what had happened with the woman with the issue of blood. And when I came to the part where I said that Jesus told her, daughters, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He gave an invitation. It was an unbelievable response. There was an audible gasp from the crowd when they had heard that Jesus, the Son of God, had called this woman who was considered unclean daughter. And the response was unbelievable, amazing. And at the end of the night, I talked to the organizer, and he said, well, what you don't know about our culture is that many of these women are disenfranchised from families and from husbands and from fathers. Many of them have been cast out in various ways. For them to know that the God who has made flesh would call them daughter is the single most significant thing they've ever heard in their lives. To know not only that God can heal and do supernatural things, but to know that God considers them his own is beyond anything they've heard before. And that's why they've responded the way they have. Let me just say this to you today. It's really not about just living life healthy and whole. It's about knowing the Father. It's really about knowing that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he calls you son or calls you daughter. And Jesus, in a very public way, said to this woman, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. I don't know what problem you're going through today, but I want to tell you something that's very important for you to know. No matter how desperate you are, no matter how embarrassing the problem is, God claims you as his own. Isn't that an amazing thought? That God would claim you, that he would call you his own, that he would call you son, call you daughter. And however he's going to work in your life in a supernatural way, above and beyond all that. And first of all, he says to you, son or daughter. I want you to get back to verse 49 now. He's heard from Jairus. He stops for the woman. And now he's going to Jairus' house. Verses 49 through 56 tell us about this amazing unfolding when it seems too late. You need to seek God when you're desperate. You need to seek God when 
you're in an embarrassing situation, but you need to seek God even when it seems too late. Isn't it amazing? Have you noticed this the way I have as I read through the scripture? It seems like Jesus sometimes shows up too late. You ever notice that? How many of you have heard the statement, God is rarely early but never late? Would you raise your hand if you've heard that? How many of you have experienced that to be true? Rarely early but never late. And yet sometimes in scripture when he shows up, it seems too late. She's dead. As he approaches the house, the servants come up and say, don't bother the master, let him go. You don't need him anymore. Your daughter has died. It's too late for him to do anything about it. Now, in Luke chapter 7, we already find out about one widow who is carrying her son out in a coffin. And it's not too late because Jesus raises him from the dead. And now we have another situation in which it's too late, they say. Later on, Mary and Martha are going to call Jesus to come to the tomb of Lazarus, who's been dead for four days. Obviously too late, and yet not too late in the eyes of God. Let me just say that our perspective of when it's too late is skewered. We don't know when it's too late. But in God's eyes, it's never too late. It's never too late to redeem a situation, never too late to call out to God, never too late to ask God for help and healing, never too late to ask God for provision. It's never too far gone that God can't redeem a situation. And are you glad for that? I'm thankful that it's never too late. And when we feel it's too late, that's when we need to be brave enough to call out to God. Because after all, God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. You never know when God's going to come through. And basically what happens with this man, Jairus, and everybody else there is a crisis of time where we are challenged to believe that nothing is too late, nothing is too far gone, nothing is too messed up or too troublesome from God. But Jairus still had to believe. Then what Jesus does, he walks in the situation and he cleans the house out. There are those that are laughing, those that are mocking, and he says, I want you all to get out. I'm just going to bring James and Peter and John and the mother and father of this little girl into the room. And when he says he's going to do that, they began laughing. If you look down at the text, they're laughing at him, and uh, they know she's died. So they consider Jesus to be foolish, and uh, he put them out. Can I pause for just a moment and just say that as we look to God, sometimes we laugh. It's too late. We laugh sometimes at the scripture. We may not laugh out loud, but we kind of, we kind of smirk in, inside because we hear these amazing stories and say, but it's too late for me. Sometimes Jesus has to clean the house before he does the kind of work he wants to do. He did that with Israel over and over he gave them the promised land, and yet so many laughed at their ability to take the promised land by storm that he waited 40 more years for those people to die off before he took them in through Joshua. He asked Gideon, a great leader, to take the men who were coming against those that battled Israel down and get a drink of water, and he weeded them out where 10,000 of them went home and only 300 of them were left. He had to weed them out till they got to those who really believed. He did this at this house. All the laughers were to leave. All the mourners were to leave. He brought James and John and Peter and then the mother and father in the room so that they could believe and not be hindered by those who didn't believe. And then in Luke chapter 8, verse 54, having cleared the house, 
He came into the room. And if you look at this verse, it says, He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. I wish I could be in that moment. There's nothing quite so limp with a tiny little hand of a 12-year-old girl who has no power to help. She's innocent. She's weak. She has no strength, no life, no help in herself. She can't even believe because she's died. No one believed in her. They only believed in him. And that's where faith is brave. Faith is brave when you can't contribute to the solution. Faith is brave when you don't know the answer. Faith is brave when you don't have any outside help at all. And when you give up on all those things and you say, God, if this is going to be a rescue, it's going to be you. If this is going to change, it's because you're going to change it. That's when faith is purest. That's when faith is most real. And that's exactly where he had Jairus and his wife, the mother of his daughter. Faith is brave and we can do nothing to help God at all. Nothing to contribute to the solution. It's where trust is made complete. And he does not disappoint. So he calls out, child, arise. And that little girl gets up. And he says, give her something to eat. I mean, I wish I could be in the room at that moment because the celebration is going to be wild. And I wish I could be there when they open the door to the room and look at all the laughers and the mourners out there that are doubting the reality of Jesus and thinking it's too late and thinking no one can raise the dead. And when she appears, this little girl appears eating a meal in front of them. I wish I could be there at that moment where they're high-fiving and, and excited and laughing because they've just had an encounter with the living God. And they realize that the living God can resuscitate anything and redeem anyone. Wish I could be there at that moment. In, John, in Revelation chapter 1, there's this amazing text where John is describing Jesus sitting on the throne in heaven. And here's what he says. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. And I was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold and have the keys of death and of Hades. That's what Jesus is revealing right here, right now. He's got the keys of life and death. He holds it all in his hands. Now, I don't know if you're desperate today. I don't know if you're embarrassed today by what's going on in your life. I don't know if you are, are thinking things are too late, but I'm telling you today that this text brings us face to face with the God who's not concerned about it being too late in your life, who's able to overcome that. He's not worried about how embarrassing your situation is. He's, he's not worried about desperation because he wants you to be desperate for him. He's not desperate. He's not worried. He is able Keep that in mind. Charles Spurgeon many years ago made this statement in a message. He said, you believe God for your soul. Believe in him about your property. Believe in him about your sick wife or your dying child. Believe in God about your losses and bad deaths and declining business. Believe in him for everything. He's big enough. He's strong enough. He loves you enough to intervene. I want you to stand for a moment, if you would. Over this next couple of moments, I'm going to ask our prayer leaders to come to the front. But I want them to stand here for a few moments and make themselves available to you. Because here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you to respond to Jesus who performed these amazing miracles and wonders by being brave enough to reach out to him.
by being brave enough to reach out. And you know how you reach out? You reach out by praying. Or you reach out by obeying something He's told you to obey in this life. You reach out by sharing with someone else, I need His help today. Jairus came to Jesus publicly. The woman came to Jesus publicly. I want you to come to Him today. It may be today that you need to come to Him for salvation. Listen, He is adequate. He is sufficient because He died on the cross, was buried, rose again the third day. He is able to save us from our sin, to forgive us, and to give us the gift of everlasting life. He is able. And if you've never come to Him publicly, come to Him today. Come to Him now. And it may be that you have done that, trusting for everything else today as well. You take a walk across the room. Take the hand of somebody standing at the front and say, you know what, I need to trust God for this thing in my life. I need to believe He's big enough. And I need to be desperate, no matter how embarrassing or no matter how late I think it is in the game. I need to trust Him. That's what God's up to this morning in this room. Trust Him. Just a moment, I'm going to pray. And as soon as I conclude in prayer, then I encourage you to come forward. Some of you will, will see this as our dismissal, and that's awesome. Some of you will realize this is the time for you to pray, the time for you to come forward and let God work in your life. Let the Word speak to you today in a powerful way. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today that your Word is always true, always reveals you, Jesus and always invites us to respond. Father, I know in this room are so many circumstances and situations that are difficult. Some are desperate. Some are embarrassing. Some feel that it's too late. But today we remember that nothing's too late for you. Nothing's too big for you. And I ask you today to allow us to be brave enough to reach out. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.